Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back for another episode. I'm going to try something here. And it it could be perceived, and probably is, a little bit technical, a little bit more on the financial side than the emotional side. But in the end of the day, I want to give you some technical information today that could really reduce anxiety around uh, some specific financial issues that really concern a lot of people. So I do this with a little bit of trepidation. I was laughing at myself just a few minutes ago thinking about this particular episode and the fact that I have a really wonderfully developed left brain and I have spent a lot of money (laughs) and a lot of time even finding my right brain and then developing it. And it's just so ironic that I'm doing a podcast on financial therapy and the, and, and the emphasis on the emotional side of money. It's, it's definitely blending it, but you know, the difference between just a straight money podcast is we're not just talking about the money. So with that said, here we go. I want to talk, first I want to start talking about social security. And one of the questions that I get a lot as a financial planner and a financial therapist is, will social security be there for me? With a lot of folks, it's just a foregone conclusion, especially with younger people, that I can't count on social security. It won't be there. And this particular notion and idea is fed by a number of things. So I want to start with a couple of articles. And these articles appear, I'd say, once a year, at least once every two years. And I'll get a call from a client. I I remember the last call I got, just kind of panicked. Wow, Rick, is it really true that Social Security isn't going to be there even in a month or a year? And there was a couple articles that came out the 1st of September of 2021. And one was uh, published in Reason.com. And the headline was, Social Security will be insolvent in 12 years. All right. And the opening line under that was, the fiscal crisis looming over Social Security is no longer a distant threat. The national pension system will be insolvent by the time workers now in their mid-50s are ready to retire. All right. Now, what, what do you take from that? Well, I think if we look up the word insolvent, it's basically bankrupt. I mean, if you um, 
if all the assets you have are worth 250000 and all the loans you have are 275000 you owe 25000 more than you have assets for, you are insolvent, right? So insolvent means basically bankrupt. So looking at that, if you, if you came away from that article saying, huh, 12 years from now, Social Security is insolvent, <laughs> and you're 55, you'd have a good reason to believe that when you hit retirement age at 67, it's not going to be there, right? On the same day, CNN published a piece by Katie Lebesco titled, Social Security Won't Be Able to Pay Full Benefits by 2034, a year earlier than expected due to the pandemic. The opening line there was Social Security will have to cut benefits by 2034 if Congress does nothing to address the program's long-term funding shortfall. Now, what would you conclude from that? Well, that's 12 years from now. 2034 is basically 12 years from now. This says Social Security won't be able to pay full benefits. Hmm. Well, not being able to pay full benefits is a little bit different from insolvent. And a big if in that opening line, if Congress does nothing to address the, the program's uh, funding shortfall. Now, you might even conclude, are they talking about the same thing? And the answer was absolutely they were talking about the same thing. There was a press release, I think a couple of days before that, that uh, Social Security put out. So they wrote these headlines and these stories from the same press release. Okay. So what can we concur? In? And so this is really good for us emotionally. When we read stuff like this, <laughs> which is about any type of stuff. It it's, uh, would be really good in, um, in IFS terms to just get into self, which would mean to ground, because parts of us are really worried about this. There's parts of us that really believe, well, this must be true. I think it might be really good if all of us developed a little fact-finding part that would, uh, this is probably a little part that's skeptical. That would say, well, let's look a little bit deeper. Because probably you didn't have the, the benefit of reading both of these. You probably read one or you read the other. And the wonderful thing about Google is you can, you can put right into a browser, uh, Social Security going bankrupt, or you can... You can Google some of this and probably find those other articles very quickly. Another thing you, you can do, and you might want to write this down, there's a site called MediaBiasFactCheck.com. MediaBiasFactCheck.com. And it, uh, it can give you some uh, insight on the various um, sites that you're reading and they're reporting. So Reason Magazine put out 
the first one that said it was going bankrupt is going to be insolvent. And the second one that said it's um, just not going to be able to pay full benefits is CNN, uh, the cable news network. It's their, their written part. Reason Magazine is a libertarian right-leaning site, typically favoring libertarian possessions. It's rated high for factual reporting due to uh, proper sourcing and a pretty clean fact check record. It uh, The same site rates CNN is left-leaning based on editorial positions, but uh, their news story selection is mixed for factual reporting, noting that most failed fact checks were by TV hosts while news reports tended to be properly sourced. All right, so that tells us probably reason is a little bit more leaning than the written CNN site. Well, that doesn't explain everything. So a little bit more searching because we need to know which of these to believe. It, it, just going by that, it would suggest that CNN probably is a little bit more in the middle than the reason. But, you know, I, of course, as a financial planner, I know too much and I know the rest of the story that neither of these sites is, is telling. N uh, neither of them explain that there's a difference between the trust fund and the annual income generated through the payroll tax that funds Social Security. So here's the really mind-numbing truth is that both of these articles are correct, all right? So let's first take the, the, the um, income generated through the payroll tax. There is a 12.4% tax that's paid for by employers, which is typically split half by the employer and half by the employee. If you're uh, self-employed, you pay all of that, 12.4%. And it's on wages up to 142800 Now, this is the income that is coming into the Social Security system. Up until, I think it may have been last year, there was always more income coming into Social Security than was needed to pay the benefit. Well, what happened to that surplus? Basically, it was loaned by the Social Security system to the U.S. Treasury. And the Treasury gave the Social Security system a, a note called a bond and said, we owe you this. And then the Treasury spent it. So this has been going on since Social Security started. Well, we have started entering a period now where more is going out for Social Security than is coming in. So what are we going to do? Well, we have all this money, all these bonds, all this savings account. Al Gore referred to this as the lockbox back in 2008 in the trust fund. Okay, so it's a savings account. The trust fund is a savings account that the Social Security system owns. 
Well, we're going to start cashing in those bonds, right, to fund the shortfall. There is, in about 12 years, if we don't raise the payroll tax, if we don't increase the retirement age, if we don't do a number of things that could bring in enough money to fund the current benefits, the trust fund will, will be depleted in 12 years, all right? So that part, that's true. The insolvency that Reason, Reason talked about was the trust fund is going to be bankrupt, but they weren't that clear. They said Social Security. They didn't even say the trust fund. They said Social Security will be insolvent in 12 years. So that was misleading. It's a Social Security trust fund, but most people don't know what the trust fund is, right? They just say, well, that must be Social Security. So what happens in 12 years on Social Security? The trust fund is out of money. Well, right now, enough money comes in to fund 78% of benefits. So what that means is if we do nothing, we will need to cut benefits by 25%, let's say. All right. So it's not that it's going to, there's not going to be any Social Security, that there's not going to be any money. It's just that there's not going to be enough to pay the current benefits now. So hopefully, if you've heard, yeah, Social Security is going broke, that this can help ease the anxiety that you might have whether Social Security is going to be there for you, especially if you're over 50, all right? Especially if you're receiving money right now. You can take a deep breath and relax because you're going to have some money. Now, so you might be saying, well, yeah, Rick, there's going to be some money, but I'm going to be taking a 25% cut. That could be significant and definitely it could be. But what, what I want to say is Social Security is the retirement uh, plan for the masses. It's a third rail in part politics, which means it's something that it's pretty hard to touch. It's pretty hard to uh, cut Social Security. And I, uh, I firmly believe that there will be some fix to the uh, to the program. They'll raise taxes. They'll they'll raise the limit. There's a number of things that they can do to fix Social Security that are not terribly painful. So, personally, if you're over 50, I would say I don't think it's something to feel anxious about. I think you can. Just let the parts of you that are so anxious about this, if they are, know that the, the, the probability, the, the logic, the facts surrounding this would suggest a person's probably going to be okay. If you're under 50 and you can't quite, you, you don't want to depend 100% on Social Security, uh, what you can do and what we often do is... Um, just use 75% of the benefit because I truly, truly, truly think at a very minimum that's what will be there. So 
That's what I wanted to say about Social Security to help your anxiety around Social Security. There's a another topic that I want to give you some information on that I've written about in my columns that goes further in reducing anxiety. And this would be around the national debt and around the money that the government's spending. And I, I don't know if I've referred to this in a podcast or not. I don't think I have. I have in my weekly columns. But so I want to try this because of, of any economic information that I have given clients, none has decreased anxiety more than this particular bit of news, bit of facts. And it, it's this. We've we've been seeing the government spending trillions of dollars in the pandemic, right? I I forget how many packages that there been, how many one and a half, two trillion dollar packages have there been starting with, I think it was April of 2020. There's been a lot. And this could really give rise to um, anxiety. And I, I'll go back to 2008 when we uh, had the uh, uh, financial crisis, which is different from a recession. It was a, a financial crisis. The facts show it usually takes about 10 years for a nation to, to climb out of a financial crisis. A, a recession can be a matter of quarters or a couple of years. And I remember when they passed I think the first bailout was like 800 billion. And my mind was spinning. And it was also around that time too that Obamacare was passed. But that's almost a trillion dollars. And I was absolutely certain this would cause hyperinflation. Just certain of it. Well, obviously it didn't. Obviously, not only did it not cause hyperinflation, inflation wasn't even an issue, like normal inflation. of Normal inflation is like 3.3% a year. Uh, we had 1% inflation. I think we even had a year, it might have been close to a half percent inflation. And this, this humongous spending plan did not result in any inflation at all. And now as I look back, it probably saved us from going into a depression. So understanding that that uh, spending the government spending a lot of money does not does not equate to inflation was was kind of um, I had a lot of um, dissonance in, interior dissonance with it like uh, I call that an interior short circuit. Like one part of me was so convinced that was going to happen. And then when it didn't happen, it's like a questioning of what do you believe, right? And, and these are important things. And, and it's important when we have that interior dissonance that, wow, this did not go the way I expected. <laughs> this is confusing to me. It's, it's raising the possibility I'm wrong right? 
And what we're seeing in these days is when you think you're wrong, double down and be even more wrong. Now, that's a judgment, but that, that's what we're seeing, especially in the public uh, uh, square, is the last thing we want to do is to admit we were wrong. Well, I emotionally, I would suggest the healthiest thing to do is to absolutely admit we're wrong. In, in the uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics program that I am in, uh, one of the things, uh, one, one of the tenets is when we are wrong, promptly admitted it, right? So I was wrong. <laughs> and I learned something. I learned something. And it took me quite a while to learn this. And here's what I learned. The federal, federal deficit, federal debt, deficit is a one-year shortfall. Debt is how much we owe cumulative. The, the federal debt is very, very unlike any other debt. Let me explain this. You and I, dollars in, dollars out is really important, right? We need to really be sure that we live on less than we make, or certainly that we live on what we make. Because if we live on more than we make, that means we're borrowing dollars, right? <clears throat> and we can't go on forever doing that. We cannot. It's not sustainable. At some point in time, somebody's going to stop lending us money, and we will become insolvent, right? <clears throat> Bankrupt. Uh, the same thing is true for a company. A company can borrow, can borrow, can borrow, and can spend more than they're bringing in, but not forever. And maybe they, they can use up reserves or sell property, but at some point in time, if they continue to borrow, they're going to run out of good credit, which means they're going to run out of money, which means they're not going to have any money to pay their debt off, and they'll go bankrupt. The same thing is true for a city. The same thing is true for a county. The same thing is true for a state. But it's not true for the federal government. Why? The difference is the federal government can create money. The federal government owns a printing press that can print all the dollars that it needs. If you and I, if it was legal to print money, well, then we could borrow forever because we just print more money to, to pay off our debt, right? So the federal government, because they are a money creation nation, they're a nation that owns their currency, just like Britain is, China is, Japan, they all have sovereign currencies. They're sovereign money creators. The U.S. government can print all the money that it needs, as can any other country. Now, there's some nuances around this. If you know some about it, economics, you'll know, wait a minute, the Treasury has to borrow the money from the Federal Reserve, which is true. But where does the Federal Reserve get the money? They print it. They create it. It's keystrokes on a, a keyboard. So... There's always money available. Also, if then you know something about how this works, you'll say, yeah, but Rick, we got a debt limit, a debt ceiling. And if we hit that debt ceiling and they don't raise it, then we default. We can't 
print any more money. And that's exactly right. And there's never been a time that we haven't raised the debt ceiling. In fact, we're only one of, I think, two countries that have a ceiling on our debt. It's kind, it's kind of silly when you have a fiat currency, which is what we have. It's more smoke and mirrors. So the federal government can print all the money it needs. It can print all the money it needs to pay the interest on the federal debt. It can print all the money it needs for Social Security. You could say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, but if the, the money coming into the Social Security program is only around 75%, where are we going to get the other 25%? Because we spent down the trust fund. Well, the trust fund was really a loan that the government did to themselves. It'd be like you uh, owing money to yourself. All the government needs to do is pass new laws that says the Treasury will fund any shortfall in Social Security. Boom. Done. So you may be scratching your head a little bit right now going, I don't know. This sounds a little bit. There's something wrong here. And the something wrong here is that you just can't create money forever. What's going to happen if you just print, 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 print money? You could get hyperinflation. You could get inflation, right? So the, and this may seem like a nuance, but it's kind of important. Anytime you hear a politician say, we're kicking the can down the road in the terms of we're putting debt on our kids, it has to be paid off. That, that or especially if you hear them say, we're going to go bankrupt. We're going to go bankrupt as a nation. That is not true. But we could inflate our currency to the point that it is uh, not as uh, desired as it was. So the real key is inflation. Anytime any of these trillion-dollar spending bills and trillion-dollar infrastructure bills are passed, the real key is, are all the components in place that are going to trigger an increase in inflation? All right. I'm about out of time. I, that was a lot of technical. I am so sorry. And I am hoping that next time you hear they're passing trillions, they're spending trillions, that you can have some decrease in anxiety that we're not going to go bankrupt. And if there aren't components that will cause inflation, it will be okay. Anytime the economy is not at capacity and has more capacity, it will be okay. If demand's low, there's a lot of things that go into this. But I just want to let you know it's not the same thing as when you and I are accumulating debt, accumulating debt, accumulating debt, right? If we could have a little uh, availability to a printing press, it would sure help it out. I know this has really been technical. I won't be technical next week. And uh, if this was helpful for in reducing your anxiety, I'd uh, love to hear about it. So if you have a question, rick at rickkaler.com. Take care and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior 
whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.